0: One of the common objections I hear to Christianity from atheists runs like this. Christianity is just a psychological projection. The reason that you Christians believe in God is because it makes you feel good, because you're psychologically weak. You don't have the self-reliance to get through life without belief in some kind of cosmic sky daddy, the fairy in the sky, the invisible friend who's there to hold your hand and make you feel okay. Religion is just a psychological crutch. How would I respond? Well, the first thing I'd want to say is this. Just because belief in God makes me feel good and gives me comfort doesn't tell you whether or not God exists. You cannot leap directly from how we feel about something to the reality or the falsehood of the thing. Let me illustrate. There are many things that make me feel good. The idea of chocolate makes me feel good. The idea of mountain views makes me feel good. The idea of miniature roller skating elephants makes me feel quite good. But just because I like the idea of those three things doesn't tell you which two are real and which one is false. To discover that, you would need to look a bit deeper. You can't leap from how we feel about something to the truth or the falsehood of it. But there's a further problem with trying to launch psychological missiles against religion for atheists, and it's this. We can turn the psychological argument around and fling it right back at atheism. One of the leading philosophers, atheist philosophers writing today is Thomas Nagel. He once wrote this in a book. He said, it's not that I don't believe in God. It's that I don't want there to be a God. I don't want the universe to be like that. That's a very strident statement, and my question for Professor Nagel would be, could it just be possible that your hatred and dislike of God run so deeply that your atheism has emerged as a psychological projection? You have wish-fulfilled God out of existence. In other words, we can use the same argument against atheism. Christians are just people afraid of the dark, say atheists. Well, I just respond, atheists are people who are afraid of the light. Neither of those statements really helps you. You cannot get from how we feel about something to whether or not it exists. You actually need to investigate and follow the evidence where it leads. But one final thought. If Christianity were wish fulfillment, I do wonder if it would be a darn sight easier. If I was gonna invent God, if God was just a projection of my psychology, I'm pretty certain I would come up with a God whose role was really to make me feel good and happy, affirm all of my prejudices and preferences, tell me that everything was gonna be okay, and make moral commands that were so easy I could follow them with both hands tied behind my back. But that's not Christianity. Christianity is tough, and it's hard, and it's costly. I'm called to follow God, to serve him with my heart, my mind and my soul. Take up your cross daily and follow me, said Jesus. There is a cost to Christianity that is so high that makes me think it can't possibly be wish fulfillment. I could have wished for something much easier. You see, my challenge to both my atheist friends and my Christian friends is if the God that you believe in or the God you disbelieve in really just looks like a larger version of you, The God you are thinking and wrestling with is not the God of the Bible, and you need to look again.
1: How do I know what is true? Now, when I've been asked this question, often what I find people are asking is really this. If there is such a thing as truth, Nathan, how do I know it? What I'd like to do here is just give you three terms to work with, and effectively, these are three tests as to how we can ascertain what the truth really is. Here are the terms. Correspondence theory, coherence theory, and then explanatory power. Let me explain these terms from top to bottom. Correspondence theory asks the question, Look, what you believe, what you have placed your trust in, does it correspond to reality? Does it have factual evidence to back it up? So think about it like this. If I were to say to you, look, last night Manchester United won the football game. Well, that statement is true if and only if Manchester United actually won the football game. Correspondence theory. In what I believe must correspond to factual evidence. Then we move on to coherence theory. Coherence theory asks the question, look, what you believe, again, what you've placed your trust in, does it cohere? Is there a high degree of internal consistency? Let me explain this a bit further. Say you and I are at a dinner party and over a cup of coffee, we're talking and you say, Nathan, hey, look, I just found out you have a son and he's, he's around two years old. Is that right? And I, and I say to you with much enthusiasm, yes, we, we do have a son and we are so pleased and we, we love our son. Then one of our friends walks into the room and and pops into the conversation and he says, hey, Nathan, I I just heard that you have a son. I didn't know that. He's around two years old. Is that right? And I say, no, no, no. uh, No, that isn't actually. We don't have a son. Um, Now, for the first person in this conversation, you're going to be looking at me and saying, hold on, which is it? It can't be both. Why? Because there's a contradiction there. There isn't coherence. In order for something to be true, It must pass the correspondence theory, but also the coherence theory. Then we move on to explanatory power. Explanatory power simply asks the question, does what I believe, again, what I've placed my trust in, does it help me make sense of my observations of the world, but also my longing and desires that I have? The observations that I have of the world, that the world is not the way that it ought to be. There's something wrong, There, there are many things wrong with the world. But then also my longings, my longing for significance, to matter. But also my observation that deep down, yes, I am capable of doing great things, but also I'm deeply flawed. The question is, what faith, what system of belief, what worldview best explains these observations and these longings? When we look to the Christian faith and then look to these three tests of truth, correspondence theory, coherence theory and explanatory power, the Christian faith is just simply amazing in that it just passes these three tests with flying colors.
0: Science has buried God, one atheist recently said to me dismissively. God is based on superstition. Science is based on reason, which is inherently superior. Well, think about this for a moment. What do we need to do science? The primary thing we need to do science is the ability to trust our minds, trust our reason, trust our thinking. If you came to doubt that what was going on in your brain was reliable, then you couldn't do science or indeed anything. So a provocative question for you. If atheism is true, what is thinking? What is reason? Well, the answer has to be that it's merely a chemical process. If atheism is true, if there is no God, what's going on between my ears right now? Are just chemicals fizzing, atoms knocking together? But if that's true, how can I trust my thinking? One of the most influential scientists of the 20th century was J.B.S. Haldane, and he once wrote this. He said, if my mental processes are determined purely by the motion of atoms in my brain, then I have no reason to trust that my beliefs are true. They may be sound chemically, but I cannot be sure they are sound logically. But the problem runs deeper than that. If atheism is true, then the current state of my brain is determined purely by the previous state of my brain. It's merely the long outcome of a series of purely physical, purely deterministic processes. If I line a thousand dominoes up across the floor in front of me and I knock over the first domino and it knocks over the next and the next and the next and so forth, by the time we get to the 1000th domino, we haven't suddenly got reason or reliability or truth. We merely have a deterministic process working out. And the same would be true of our brains. Why could we trust the thoughts that they produced? But there's one last problem. If atheism is true, then our brains are merely the result of millions upon millions of years of unguided evolution, driven not by a God who is a reasonable thinking designer, but driven just by natural selection. And natural selection isn't concerned with truth. It's merely concerned that you can survive and reproduce. The atheistic philosopher Patricia Churchland once wrote this. She said, boiled down to the, its essentials, a nervous system enables the organism to, to succeed in the four Fs feeding, fighting, fleeing, and reproducing. Truth, whatever that is, definitely takes the hindmost. In other words, evolution doesn't care about what you believe and if your beliefs are true, it merely is concerned that you can survive. We'll stack those problems up and we reach this conclusion. If atheism is true, you have no, good reason to trust your mind. In fact, if atheism is true, you have every good reason not to trust your mind and to doubt the content of your thoughts. And thus we arrive at the great irony. If you embrace atheism, yes, you lose God, but in the process, you also lose humanity, lose reason, lose thinking, and lose the ability to do science in the first place.
1: When we ask the question, why Jesus? Why not Buddha? Why not Muhammad? I think a good starting point is by asking ourselves the question, what is Christianity all about? Well, Christianity centers around the person of Jesus Christ. It really is all about Jesus Christ. If you remove Christ from Christianity, you are effectively left with nothing. Now I say this with great care and respect to other religions. But the same cannot be said of other religions or systems of belief. Take Buddhism. You can take the Buddha out of Buddhism, but you are still left with the core doctrine of Buddhism. You can even remove Muhammad out of Islam, but you are still left with its core beliefs, the Holy Quran. The same cannot be said about Christianity as one of my friends, Michael Ramson, often quips, you can take the Christ out of Christian, but if you do, all you're left with is Ian. And Ian cannot help you. You really are left with nothing. Now the interesting thing about Christianity is that it doesn't focus primarily on knowing ideas or even a way to live. God, through Christ, does provide a way, provide a way to live. Living a life that actually reflects who Jesus is, his love, his character. It also, through Jesus, gives us principles, ideas to know about him. But fundamentally, Christianity focuses on the person of Jesus Christ. That means that purpose, meaning, significance in life, the word salvation, really knowing what life is all about is found through knowing Christ personally. Jesus Christ once said something that was very provocative. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And in that statement he was saying, look, I'm not pointing to ideas. I'm not pointing to a way of life. I'm pointing to myself. I'm saying, if you want to know who God is, I am He, I am God. That got him into some hot water. But this tells us something even bigger and more profound. That Christianity, knowing God, is more than understanding ideas. God is not an idea to be understood. He is a person to be known. Do we know this God? There's nothing like this God.
0: An accusation I commonly hear is that you Christians are arrogant because you claim that Jesus is the only way to God, that only Christianity is true. How narrow-minded, how intolerant, how bigoted. Wouldn't it be much more inclusive, much more tolerant to say that all religions are true? Well, the problem with that idea is this. Think about the nature of a truth claim for a moment. The moment that you claim that anything is true, you are excluding uh, the opposite. So, for example, if I say that 2 plus 2 is 4... I'm excluding the possibility that 2 plus 2 is 8, or 400, or 3047.2. If I say that Paris is the capital of France, I'm excluding the possibility that it's some other city. It doesn't matter what the subject area is. Whenever you make a truth claim, you are by nature excluding opposite answers. And that's true in religion as well. Interestingly, even if you say that all religions are true, you are being exclusive, what do I mean? Well, if you say that all religions are true, you are excluding those who believe that only one religion is true, or those who believe that only some religions are true. As you begin thinking around this, you reach a conclusion, and it's this, the only way to avoid excluding anybody is to zip your lip and say nothing. Because the moment you make any truth claim, you are excluding somebody. So what about this claim that Christianity is unique, that Jesus is the only way to God? Well, it's interesting to look where that idea comes from. Christians did not make that idea up. Where do we get it from? We got it from Jesus Christ himself, who was very fond of making highly exalted, highly exclusive claims about himself. In John's Gospel, chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus says these words, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to God the Father except through me. That's a staggeringly narrow claim. Arrogant claim, in fact, unless it's true. And in fact, we find Jesus on page after page of the Gospels makes claims like that. He makes exclusive claims. He claims to have an authority on a par with God's. He he claims to be God himself. He claims to be able to forgive sins. And as these claims stack up, you're really left with only one of three possibilities. Either Jesus was a liar manipulating people and making these outlandish claims or he was a lunatic he was quite literally insane he had no idea what he was saying or you're left with a third possibility that he was actually who he claimed to be and thus the reason he could make these exclusive claims was because they were true and they had the authority to do so at the heart of the question which religion is true lies the person of Jesus was he who he claimed to be One minute, One minute apologists. We
2: interview the world's leading apologists to provide credible answers to curious questions. Frank, is the Bible historically reliable? Oh, I think so. Absolutely, Bobby. And I think if you look at six lines of testimony that begin with the letter E. As an overview, you can see that it is. First of all, we have early testimony. Most, if not all, the New Testament documents are written prior to 70 AD. Secondly, we have eyewitness testimony. For example, there's 140 details between the Book of Acts and the Gospel of John that have been verified to either be eyewitness details or details that only an eyewitness could know or, some, or they knew somebody who was an eyewitness. Uh, thirdly, we have embarrassing testimony. That may sound a little strange, but there's so many embarrassing details in the text that the writers never would have made up. Like, for example, they never would have called, have Jesus call Peter Satan. They never would have had Peter deny Christ three times. They certainly wouldn't have run away while the women were the brave ones at the crucifixion right that doesn't make any sense they wouldn't have the women be the first witnesses they wouldn't doubt that he had risen from the dead after he had risen from the dead there's so many embarrassing details this is not a made-up story Uh, number four we have excruciating testimony that literally means out of the crucifixion that these individuals died brutal deaths excruciating deaths when they could have saved themselves by saying Jesus had not risen from the dead but they went to their deaths anyway. We also have expected testimony. That's number five. In other words, there's Old Testament prophecy that causes us to expect a messiah in the first century with the same characteristics Jesus had. Just look at Isaiah 53. You don't need to go much further than that. And then uh, finally, we have extra biblical testimony. Uh, We have 10 ancient non-Christian sources within 150 years of Jesus's life. And when you take their brief references to Jesus and early Christianity, you get a storyline congruent with the New Testament. So for those six reasons, early, eyewitness, embarrassing, excruciating, extra biblical and expected testimony, we, we pretty much know that the New Testament's historically reliable.